there is no error with your audio outputs. Do not attempt to fix any sound issues. We are monitoring you with this device. We control your options and settings. We are transmitting through your internet connection, but our signal is actually entering your mind, sending electrical impulses into the very tissues of your brain. Try to stay calm. We've taken over your senses for the duration of this broadcast. You are helpless to resist. We have taken control for your own sake. There are things you must know. This is Paranoia Radio, hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton. So welcome to another amazingly thrilling podcast of the Paranoia Podcast. I am Olaf Phillips. This and is I'm Ron. Ron, you, you cut me off again. Okay, try it again. Okay, this is... Okay, thanks, Ron. Ron, you know, I know it's like amateur hour over here at the Conspiracy House, but come on. Work with me, Ron. Uh, uh, it's been a while, buddy. It has. You know, we got to do this on a regular basis. But anyway, no, you're all Ill, right? We always say that. Yeah, that's But we never true. do it. Yeah. Well, it's it's called life. That's true. And, Ron. And it's like I'm producing a radio show Monday through Friday, Ground Zero with Clyde Lewis and uh Sneaky Plug. Yeah, well and you're publishing a plethora of books and uh working a, a real job as well. Ron, who the hell are you? <laughs> I am editor in chief of Paranoia. I mean for God's right. sakes, get off the soapbox and just tell me who the hell you are. <laughs> I am who I am. There you go. That's and that's funny. and that's all that I am, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, before we got a really awesome guest tonight. Um, before we get to that, um, you know, I I, uh, I just wanted to share a little story there with you, Ron, and mm-hmm. it, and it made me realize something. What's that? So sometimes in the middle of the night, because. Like most conspiracy dorks, I cannot sleep. Mm-hmm. I have trouble sleeping. And so, and I snore, but that's a different thing. But so sometimes in the middle of the night, I'm just, you know, sitting around and I'll go down to the quick stop and I'll go get some soda or whatever. Okay. You know, the quick stop, right? Oh, yeah. All right. Free advertising for the quick stop. There's yeah. a guy. There's a guy down there uh, by the name of RJ. He works at the Quick Stop, and he works in the middle of the night. And so, you know, I'm going down there. I went down there last night. Was it last night? No, it was the night before last. I went down there. See, I can't even tell what I've been abducted, Ron. Anyway. Well, you lose a lot of time, buddy. <laughs> yeah, and I don't even take drugs. Anyway, so I go down there, and I'm and. And I go in there, and occasionally I smoke. It's a bad habit. I don't need email. I know it's awful. I want to quit. I voted for my own you know, rise in the cigarette prices in the lovely state of California. I voted yes for that. I want to quit. I don't like it. But I do, on occasion, smoke. And so I went down there to buy some cigarettes. And, and uh, RJ was down there, and I had a sprawling two-hour conspiracy conversation with him. And it made me realize something, Ron. 
Ron, we need to be sponsored. We need some brave organization to sponsor us, Ron. We do. We and do. I think that's going to happen. That that will happen after I get back from contact in the desert. I have two sponsors that will I'm thinking I'm thinking the quick stop so that I can go down there and get my soda for free. Oh get out of here. Forget the quick stop. I, I think the quick stop needs to I mean shit. People listen to this show in the middle of the night. Yeah. Well whatever. <laughs> Anyway, I was talking to RJ down there, and, he, and he's he's a he's a very interesting cat. He because he's he's from India, and he he has a lot of interesting information about the Hollow Earth. And uh-huh. uh, we we really should do a Hollow Earth show. But but um, you know, I was telling him about my master devious master plan to someday have a conspiracy con. Right. And he he actually was very excited about it. Um, so what I would like to do is is share the basic idea with the audience and see if anybody actually emails me. That's a test, right? Right. Now, are you talking about a conference or a festival? I'm talking about a festival. There we go. Okay. So I believe that it would be really awesome to have the Paranoia Fest somewhere mm-hmm. in the Pacific Northwest, but basically mm-hmm. it'd be super cheap. You camp out, cook your own food on your own Coleman stove. Don't come use mine. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for a weekend, Friday through Sunday, Friday through Monday, whatever, you know, we have a festival. And, you know, we bring in some speakers, maybe like Walter, Mm -hmm. Walter Bosley, who's going to be hanging out there, contact in the desert uh, with us this weekend, which is going to be totally awesome. Walter's Mm -hmm. an awesome guy, very interesting dude. You know, maybe bring him out there, maybe get uh, get Harry Sweeney to come out and tell us about things or whatever. But we get some. What about Marie D. Jones, though? Well, I was just getting to Marie D. Jones. You know, she she is the woman of the hour as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, get some people out there that are a little different, a little off the beaten path, not the same 10 people you see at every goddamn conspiracy UFO conference on the face of the earth and, yeah, and have yeah. a festival where people can actually talk to each other. Yeah. And just make Sounds- it really fucking cheap. Right. You know? No, I'm down with that. But when would you like to do something like that? I mean, well, like it, next year. Or? Next year, next year, I'd like to do that because okay. I want to plan it ahead, mm-hmm. and I, and I want it to I want it to go really well. And right. we, we have a, a very caring individual that that may have some land that we can have it on, and mm-hmm. I want to talk to him about it and see what he thinks and and have a dialogue about it. But in general, you know, I think during the during the early summer. You know, mm-hmm. and and we could get some really awesome people up there, and you know, you drive in. It wouldn't be too far from a metropolitan area, but you drive in, you know, camp out for the weekend. Maybe bring your trailer if you have one. I have an airstream. Maybe I'll bring it up there, and and you know, hang out and talk conspiracy stuff. That's my idea, and, Ron. Yeah, yeah. Well, on the paranormal, anything related, of course, to Paranoia Magazine. Yeah, paranoia. Paranormal stuff, cryptozoology stuff, ecology stuff, conspiracy mm-hmm. stuff, whatever. You know, just make it an open environment. You know, I, I would love one day to own enough land that, that we could do a conspiracy fest and like a paranoia fest and have our own runway. Cause that would we, be ideal. We know yeah. pilots, you know. And if I had if I had forty acres, somebody wants to sell me some in, in the Pacific Northwest for cheap, you know, we could have a we could have a runway. 
<laughs> it'd be like giant rock <laughs> there you go there you go but in the northwest so it's sort yeah. of like a uh uh a green burning man type situation you know the yeah. way i would think about it is a burning man without all the heavy drugs right yeah and, and without, just the light gotcha. yeah and, and without lighting shit on fire i i don't i think if we're in a forest lighting shit on fire would be a bad idea yeah, not not a good idea, especially at time of the year. Although although I would support um, a controlled burn of a wicker man, I think that would be pretty awesome. <laughs> All righty, <laughs> you know the wicker man. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, Ron. Yeah, we we can. Well, we we can get uh, Thomas Sheridan. You know the guy who's going to be publishing a book through Paranoia oh. called uh, the Druid Code. And yes. Yeah. Yeah, we'll let him exactly. light it. I'll give him a road flare. Yeah, we can have a real druid doing it. There you go. Exactly, but, but you know, every you know the way I see it is that you know everybody's welcome. Druids are welcome. Conspiracy people, UFO, cryptozoology. You know what? We're one big happy dysfunctional family. Everybody mm-hmm. should come out there and feel safe and to talk about it. And and maybe we'll get some some speakers that can cover all that stuff. We know people yeah. who do Bigfoot research. Mm-hmm. You know, we know people who do UFOs. We know people. Well, we obviously know people who do conspiracy stuff. But I mean, we know right. all these people that are very interesting. And I think it would make a much different conference or whatever than the typical mm-hmm. thing that you go down to the Best Western for. You know, you go down yeah. the, every year. You go down to the Best Western. It's the same ten guys that tell you right. the same ten things. And I think we got to do something different. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, change it up to if we're going to do it on an annual basis, just have try to have as many different speakers too the following year. Absolutely. More people equals more speakers. That's the way I think about it. Exactly. All right. But enough of my crap. So if you're actually a fan of this show and you listen to it, uh, Send me an email. Tell me what you think. Go on Facebook, uh, Paranoia Magazine on Facebook, uh, Olaf Phillips on Facebook, uh, Ron Patton on Facebook. Go find us. We're on Twitter. You know, we're on Instagram. I mean, we're everywhere. But send us a message. What do you What do you think about it? Um, also, as RJ reminded me, uh, the dedicated fan that he is, um, you know, go download iTunes and put a comment in there that says that we're the best guys ever. Whatever. Lie through your teeth. But just, you know, put some positive feedback on SoundCloud or Stitcher, you know, wherever you get the show. Just put some positive feedback. I'm front loading it, goddamn it, this time. Usually we do it at the end. I think people turn it off by then. They're like, I'm tired of this guy, so I'm going to do it in the beginning, goddamn it. Okay. Okay. I'm off the well, same. Thanks for that. You're welcome. Thanks, don't don't yeah. worry about it. So tonight uh, we have a very special guest star. Um, that would be Marie D. Jones. She is a prolific author. I mean, she mm-hmm. has more books than I, I, I've written two. I've written two, Ron. That's it. I know. Congratulations. I know. She's written like 20. That's true. She she was kind enough to uh, work with Paranormal. You know, we are a, a niche publishing operation, and she was kind enough to work with us to allow us to reprint one of her best, uh, which mm-hmm. is the Super Volcano, um, that she wrote with her dad. And I think that's awesome that she wrote it with her dad. That 
I think that alone is really awesome. But it's a really awesome book. And frankly, it scared the crap out of me. So Ron said, hey, let's get her on. And I said, let's do it, man, because people got to hear about this stuff. And she has a lot of other stories and interesting things to say. So I will turn it over to Ron, who can give her a proper introduction. But Marie, welcome to our our, uh, our amateur hour. And Ron, go for it. <laughs> yes, Marie, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I'm so honored. <laughs> but uh, Marie D. Jones is a best-selling author of nonfiction and fiction. Not only that, she's a screenwriter and producer with her own company called Where's Lucy? She's appeared on television and on radio and all over the world, has hundreds of credits writing for magazines, including Paranoia, uh, guest blogs, reviews, short stories, online articles, and gift books. She's lectured widely on the paranormal, unknown anomalies, cutting-edge science, metaphysics, and human consciousness. Welcome once again, Marie D. Jones, to the Paranoia Podcast. Yay. Nice to be here. <laughs> oh, that bio sounds so formal and I know. That's legit. Know, but, yeah, that's, but that's it's legit. Yeah, yeah. But it but yeah, it is right. succinct. It's formal yet succinct. So uh, I yes. I uh, <laughs> I heard about Marie, I think about two thousand twelve. We were on Facebook and uh, you know, we actually were able to get involved in um, putting a few projects together and uh, one of them was Mind Wars and that came out when did that come out? In 2014 or? Wow, you know what? That long ago? I think so. It feels like it it just came out last year but yeah, I think you're right. Or maybe 2015. Right, right. Yeah, wow. But yeah, I mean, it's it's still timelier than ever, so I guess it just feels that way. Right. But uh, you also helped uh, Paranoia with several uh, articles, too, during that time. I think you have about five articles altogether in Paranoia. Yeah, yeah. I think on uh, May Brussels and, oh gosh, all kinds of stuff. Paranormal mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And so um, let's talk a little bit about what got you started in uh, writing about the paranormal and about anomalous type stuff. Uh, Well, I've been writing since I, you know, since childhood. I started out writing fiction. I used to sell short stories to men's magazines when I was a teenager. I actually made a lot of money doing that. (laughs) But at that time, that's all, you know, there was no internet. And they bought horror and science fiction, and that's what I liked to write as a teenager. And um, I started writing screenplays in my 20s, and I've written, like, a ton of direct-to-video product, and just about, well, I guess about 12 or 13 years ago, decided to tried to write a nonfiction book Mm -hmm. and it just sort of took off from there. So I've actually just finished editing my 16th or 17th. No, my 16th and I'm working on my 17th. I was close. And I think that, I think that might be it for, well, I've written a couple of novels too that I'm trying to get to, 
but I keep getting, you know, sucked back into the nonfiction. Um, so I've got two books releasing this year, one next year, and I think that's going to be it for a while. Right. Uh, it's hard. Right. <laughs> it's hard. It, it, the research, it takes so much time, and then I I feel like I don't have time for the, the other things that I'm trying to do. So I think it might be time to take a little break. No, writing's tough. I mean, it takes a lot of thinking, too. I mean, people don't realize that even once you get done writing it, like, you reorganize it, like, multiple times. I mean, you move the chapters around, and you keep finding things that you want to rewrite. You keep finding typos. You keep finding more pictures to put in there. You know, at one point, you just kind of, at least for me, I just have to stop and go, I'm done. Yeah, well, I usually have deadlines, so I have to be done by certain times. But then, you know, I turned in um, two books several months ago, and I just today finished the final author review edits of both. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's been months, you wait a couple of months while they're doing their editing, and then you start going through, and then you go through the next draft, and just today finished a book that's coming out in July, and it's, I am really weird in that I don't want to read what I wrote again. I Mm -hmm. hate reading what I've written. Yeah, and it's so editing is really hard for me. Yeah, They've done a lot of it already. You know, thank God that I have um, line editors and content editors at the publishing companies, but I I hate reading again. Although I must say, when I do, I'm always like, wow, I wrote that? Oh, that's pretty good. Oh, no, not me. I'm like, I wrote that crap? (laughs) People buy this? No. Well, my biggest problem is I don't know if I'm making sense when I'm writing it. I just know so I'm when not. I find out, hey, <laughs> yeah, but uh, but it is it's grueling, and I'm so tired of people treating it like, hey, you know, I've got six books I'd like you to write for me when you have some time. No, yes. no, <laughs> you hey, don't. Hey, understand. Marie, I got six books I'd like for you to write. <laughs> Of course, you if know, you pay me, I will. Of course, right. you know this is the paranoia zone, right? So, I mean, you know, me and Ron, we don't believe in deadlines. We set deadlines. We're yeah. like, yeah, we're going to get the magazine out on this date, and it's like, well, miss that one. Yeah, then yeah, That's, months later. Yeah, see, I looks can't like do a that. summer issue. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> but make- I mean, it's just different, you know, with the publishing books and as far as uh that and then also it's a different game when you're publishing a magazine yeah. you know because you yeah you get all those articles in and edited and and a lot of the books that we actually publish are actually reprints so it's yeah. basically reformatting and so you know there's a different nuance to each type of publishing that we're involved in well the the reprints are tricky well, though because you got to go find them and you know it's in some ways it's actually harder than writing a book because you have to you kind of get an idea in your mind like for <clears throat> for example you know I wanted to put out more MK ultra stuff right so uh-huh. it's like okay I want to put out some MK ultra stuff but what exactly do I want to put out Mm-hmm. And so you have to sit there and really, you know, you have the problem of, of having to pick what you want to write about. But then it kind of flows yeah. out this, you know, you pick what you want to want to publish. And it's like, OK, well, you know, then you've got to read a bunch of them and go, well, the, this one's no good. This one's OK. I mean, it's still it's yeah, just as we have to edit other people's work. Yeah. yeah. And that's hard, too. Sometimes yeah. 
people don't like to be edited. I don't have any discipline. I don't know how I get so much work done, um, but I can't self-impose a deadline. I won't stick to it, so yeah. I have to have outside deadlines on me. And I and I'm incredibly productive, but oh. I have no discipline. Meaning, yeah. I just write whatever the hell I feel like it. Same but I've way. learned how. I mean, I've done it so long that yeah. I can, you know, bang out a book in a couple of months. Mm-hmm. If it's a longer book, it takes a little longer, but. But I, I just, I'm kind of running out, you know, with, I work with three different publishers now and with the niche stuff, the paranormal UFOs, you know, even more metaphysical subject matter, everything has been done to death. And so the last three things I pitched my main publisher, they said, oh, shoot, you know, we're already doing it. We're already doing it. And I said, you know what? I'm out of ideas right now. So I think I'm going to take a break and, and focus on other stuff. Yeah, right. you gotta do that. So, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my God, there's so many of my colleagues. I'm like, I can't write a UFO book. How am I gonna? How am I gonna top what Nick Redfern is doing? You know, <laughs> that's and, tough. Uh, David Weatherly's got the whole shadow in, uh, interdimensional entity thing. They have their down. niches. And these guys yeah, are great. And and I admire these guys. Same here. So I, I'm not gonna. Yeah, it's like you know, there's already people out there that are just really kicking ass at these subject matter, and it's getting harder and harder to find something that hasn't been um, really oversaturated. No, I hear you. I hear you. I, you know, what my response to it is: I just write whatever the hell I want. You know, I. Yeah, well, that's what I do. You know, if I were to self-publish. Um, it's harder when you're, you know, used to dealing with publishers and I like to get a little bit of an advance and so that's harder. Um, and I've really been lucky that the publishers I've worked with have not, you know, they've not only been accepting of the ideas that I have, but they've offered me really cool ideas. My, one of my biggest best-selling books, 1111, the time prompt phenomenon was the publisher's idea. I had, you know, I was like, I don't even know what that is. Right. And um, I was asked to do uh, to 2013, End of Days or New Beginning. I was asked to do that book. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I've been really lucky. The, the book I'm working on now is a total, it has nothing to do with the paranormal. It's an emergency survival guide. Well, that's good. And have. I got... Yeah, well, I'm really well-trained and all of that. And so I told my agent, I said, you know, wouldn't it be cool if I could write something? And she said, oh, I just heard that, you know, publisher of Visible Ink Press was looking for something like that. So I got lucky with that. But it's really hard. Ron knows how many times I've tried to pitch really controversial books. Like, you know, we talked about doing one called Toxic Shock. I wanted right. to talk about all the different ways of poisoning ourselves to death. Mm-hmm. And um, my publisher said, no, we won't touch that. <laughs> I was like, are you out of your mind? <laughs> yeah. I understand. They have, you know, they, and I wanted to do one uh, about um, the vaccine controversy. Mm-hmm. No, 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 we don't want to touch that. And I understand that. But then I go and turn around and do a book like Mind Wars, which is just as controversial. And oh yeah, you know that was fun. So I don't that's understand. True. Yeah, yeah, you know I think that's the most important book I've written. 
Uh-huh. You know, the best-selling one was 2013. Right. Which I just think it's still selling. You know, it, it even though the 2012 yeah. is past, it's still selling. Right. Um, right. Well, 2013. But it's just. <laughs> well, you know what I did? I was actually clever. I wrote the book so that it was mainly about. Uh, you know, other, not just 2012, but other attempts to sort of pinpoint the end of the world and other stories and mythology and religion, blah, blah, blah. So I made it really broad uh-huh. so that it would Smart. continue to sell. But I mean, you, you, you guys know, you're right. We have to just write what turns us on because you can't predict the marketplace. Mm-hmm. It's always changing. Um, there's always going to be, you know, when it comes to niche stuff, there's always going to be other people out there that already got a lock on it. Mm-hmm. Or you're, you end up like me where it's like, I've written about ghosts, UFOs, you know, this, that, consciousness. What the hell else is there? Right. You know, there's really not much more unless I completely step away from that. There's not much more I can do. I don't know. Right. <clears throat> I think I think things... I think sometimes things just kind of, kind of smack you on the head. I mean, you know, for me personally, you know, you kind of don't set out. Like, for example, I wrote an article uh, once that's actually in the books um, about disappearances in the national parks and how it relates to the secret space program and stuff. And when I wrote it, you know, that came out of I was looking at a I was looking at a um, a map with pins on it that. that uh the um the guy who does the disappearances um Paul Eads, he had made a map and it it had concentrations of disappearances and i thought because you know i love kitschy stuff and i love old stuff and you know i'm i've always mm-hmm. been interested by this guy tall who published all these maps back in the 80s where these secret underground bases are and so i, I thought to myself well what the hell so i took the maps and i overlaid them on each other and lo and behold they kind of line up and you know i just cooked that thing up in my backyard just sitting there going i wonder if they match you know so sometimes and it it's probably yeah. one of the most popular articles i've i've written to date and you know people oh, have yeah. gone to when, when something about it yeah when something just kind of appears at your doorstep so to speak that's always really cool and i'm sure a year from now i'll probably get a great idea that you know it'll be out of the blue um it's 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 really hard though when somebody is saying, well, you know, do you have any ideas now? And you're racking your brain. I know, I know. And it's like, I wanted so badly to write a book about the Battle of Los Angeles and use that as a lead-in to, you know, to all of the UFO military encounters. Sure. And mm-hmm. I pitched that to New Page Books, and they, and he said, oh, man, you're not going to believe this. And he sent back their catalog copy for a book. I think Frank Joseph is the, the author that they signed that's coming out in a few months, and it looks incredible. And he's a military guy, so he, you know, he's going to nail it. I, I would have had to uh... have done it. Ton of research. I don't know. But, still you know, if I self-publish, well, no, I'm not going to waste my time. That's one thing I'm really, uh, you know, I have fiction and I'm getting into film and TV, so I'm not going to waste my time writing another nonfiction book unless I know it has a home 
And right. I'm really lucky that I work with publishers that put uh, pair companies on my books. So mm-hmm. I've gotten spoiled. Um, but down the road, who knows? Right. But uh, you've been yeah. really branching yeah. out, though, huh? into multimedia now? Well, the funny thing is, I mean, I started out doing other things. Nonfiction was never what I wanted to do. It just happened, and I ran with it. And then I started to get too comfortable, and I wasn't making a whole lot of money. And it was like, well, shit, you know, these niche books. um, One of the problems that my agent and I have been talking a lot about is the fact that people know that they can get information for free on the Internet. Mm-hmm. So they won't buy books. However, they still won't look up the information because they're lazy. It's just this yeah. weird thing. But in their minds, the mentality is, I can get this for free. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, you know, I wanted to go back to my roots, which were fiction and, and writing screenplays. And I have been incredibly lucky that in the year that I have done it, I think I started... So I started um, a little over a year, not last November, but the November before I got my first project, which was the Maybelline family dynasty story, which is an absolutely insanely fascinating story. Mm -hmm. And that's at Sony and they're hiring showrunners. So, you know, that's unheard of. I've got projects all over the place. I just... I'm signing a new shopping agreement tonight. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have it printed out for a, sit- a situation comedy I wrote called Retrograde, which <laughs> has to do with Mer- Mercury Retrograde. Uh-huh. And um, I just, I got really lucky, but then I realized, no, it's not really luck. I started out doing this. I had a body of work. I- I've got connections everywhere that I had already been building. I have my reputation for my nonfiction books, so that ended up really helping as well. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm tired. <laughs> I it's, need a break. <laughs> it's tiring. It's it's writing is tiring. I know. It's a lot of thinking. I know, and the, you know, and I can't stop. I mean, no. I don't see a uh, I don't see a break off point until maybe sometime next year. You know, I'm already talking to two different people about making independent films. One, Ron, a guy that Ron is familiar with, and uh, the other is a guy that I've been working with for the last six, seven months who's doing short, independent shorts and getting them funded. And so there's that coming, too. It's like, oh, God, it's never going to end. <laughs> oh, well. Hey. I guess, but I'd, I'd like to be busy. I can't sit yeah. idle. Well, you can get you know, it. Take I, it. <laughs> yeah, I just I don't like to sit still for five minutes. And so now, yeah. T- so yeah. that's yeah, that's that's my story. So, <laughs> so we're here for a reason. So you know, Ron a while back brought me this this book that you had originally published, and and I, you were kind enough to let us republish it about super volcanoes and the the uh, Toba super volcano in Sumatra, and uh, right. you know, in in laying it out, getting it ready, and prepping it. Man, this is some scary stuff. I mean, this is you know, yeah. we, we hear Very. a lot. We, 
I mean, you know, we hear a lot about Yellowstone and, and every 10 minutes, you know, some some uh, catastrophist is, is saying, OK, well, Yellowstone's minutes away from blowing, you know, but it's like I don't think that we as as people really, you know, understand what the ramifications of that are. I mean, obviously, in my lifetime, I've seen Mount St. Helens, Mount Pinatubo, and a bunch of other volcanoes explode. But you right. know, you're talking about something that's that's on the order of magnitude of, what, two or 3,000 times the explosive energy of Mount St. Helens? Yeah, I mean, the last known supervolcanic eruption was about 28,000 years ago. And it created Lake Taupo in New Zealand. So, I mean, it literally, you know, created this giant lake. And it's three, four thousand. Toba was a big supervolcano. And Toba was 3,000 or so times more uh, debris and pyroclastic flow and, and just the, the magnitude and the power of it than the biggest Mount St. Helens eruption. And so you hear a lot of people will say, oh, well, you know, Mount St. Helens was a, a super volcano. No, 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 no. Oh, it's just no, a big-ass volcano. And Mount Edmund, mm -hmm. all these volcanoes that we are, that we've, you know, Krakatoa, and they're just big volcanoes. And that's well, what people don't understand. No. You jump up to a whole different level when you're talking about a super volcano. Now, when I was a kid... Uh, we we would go camping a lot in Southern Oregon, and out beyond uh, Klamath Falls, north of Klamath Falls, in a place called Fort Klamath, and we go fishing and swimming and you know the usual stuff you do on in the summer, right? And right. we got into this habit of going to Crater Lake, and one time we actually went to the uh, the visitor center at Crater Lake and we watched, I watched the video, I was a kid, but I, I watched the video on VHS of their presentation about the, the destruction of Mount Mazama, which was what Crater Lake originally was, was Mount Mazama. And when it blew, it vaporized, I think like 4,000 or 5,000 feet of the mountain, like blew it in half, you know, basically. Yeah, uh-huh. And and the Native Americans at the time were you know were there when it exploded, and they have a very rich history of explaining what this event was like. Now that that explosion was massive, and it blew I think four thousand feet off the top of the mountain or something like that. Don't fact checkers out there. I'm in the alternative zone. Please don't fact check me. <laughs> but it was big. I mean, it was it was huge and. When you go to Crater Lake, you can see it. I mean, it's very obvious that a whole big chunk of this mountain is gone. Now, what I'm yeah. and and that struck me as being absolutely enormous, like an enormous explosion. How does that that compare to say Toba? That's actually super volcanic caldera that was formed. I mean, that's the lake. Right. Um, I don't think it was as big as Toba, but it was a uh, classified as a super volcano. Okay, because it, I mean, they... The biggest, you know, I mean, the biggest eruptions have been Yellowstone. Right. Mm -hmm. But way, 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 you know, 2.1 million years ago, and then again, about 640,000 years ago, mm -hmm. which made even these look, look, I mean, if you go to Yellowstone, and I've never been there, but if you look at that caldera, that, you know, massive depression, it's and enormous. It, it's, it's enormous. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, so we have so we have super volcanoes here in the United States. They're all over the world. There's probably several under the ocean that haven't even been discovered that could be massive threats. And really, the identifying mark is that they're calderas. And a lot of them are lakes. So again, you know, if you're not an expert, you could be swimming in a lake, and that could actually be the site of a, a super volcanic eruption. God knows how long ago, but that's an identifying factor. They're not conical volcanoes, and it doesn't matter how big a conical volcano blows. It's never going to have that same impact. It's never going to have enough material uh, to qualify it as a supervolcano. Now, a lot of it has to do with the the, uh, deposits of magma that are below the ground. So the thing is about Yellowstone, that's kind of when my dad and I were writing the book, and my dad passed away a few years ago, so we never got the chance to write another book or a follow-up or anything. But at the time, everybody was freaking out over Yellowstone, and they still are, because they, they were claiming that the last three super eruptions there were spaced out in a way that, that were overdue. Right. But that was a mistake. The second of the three super eruptions was not a super eruption. It was just a simple eruption. So what mm-hmm. that does is it kind of throws the you know the schedule off course. Sure. And Yellowstone is really not any more overdue than the super volcano that my father thought and his colleagues was even more dangerous, and that's Long Valley. And Long Valley is a little bit smaller, mm-hmm. but there's a reason. And if you know, if you read the book, you know what the reason is. And that reason is, first of all, it's in a uh, you know the range of that super eruption is in a much more populated area. And mm-hmm. second, the potential that it is kind of linked with any major tectonic activity along the San Andreas Fault. Right. means and we know that that's going to blow anytime right those of us that live in southern california all yeah. the way up to central california we even, hear it every freaking day even northern <laughs> california you know what side sidebar that you know i mm-hmm. live outside of san francisco and when you go down the peninsula toward toward a uh, palo alto and and stuff if you, there's one road you can take that's more uh toward that kind of goes right along that that uh little hill range in there and there's yeah. a, there's a deep depression between where the road is and where the hills are and that deep depression is is a, apparently the san andreas fault and one of the things that i've always yeah. chuckled about is that sitting right on the smack dab in the middle of that is the stanford linear accelerator which i always thought was hilarious oh lovely yeah <laughs> but but we have we have the well, yeah. san andreas up here too <laughs> Now, yeah, and I and I, I think you know it's all if it's all linked. So now you don't just worry about the threat of a, a major earthquake, right? But mm-hmm. could that trigger a super volcanic eruption? What we're dealing with down here is the San Onofre. You know, the San Onofre nuclear plant is offline; it's shut down. But now they're talking right. about burying the nuclear waste there. That was and great. It's very close to an earthquake fault. That's awesome. My father was the leading consultant for the Yucca Mountain uh, nuclear waste plant. 
Mm-hmm. And he was one of the, you know, a lot of people bitch and moan now. Why didn't they just bury it out there? There's nothing out there. But my dad was the one who said, don't do it. He was the geophysical consultant. And the reason why he said don't put it out there is because there's groundwater sources, you know, a mile or less underground. And there is tectonic activity. And even though there aren't people around, if there was to be an earthquake, all of that waste could get into groundwater sources that then go to millions of people. So, you know, yeah, don't put it, don't put it, you know, right off the coast of no. San Diego Orange County border either. Well, well, There's got to be somewhere else to put it, but don't put it near earthquake fault. Well, and I think... I think Fukushima, <laughs> Fukushima showed us that, that you know, although there's uh, a benefit to, to running a nuclear reactor next to the ocean, meaning that, yeah. you know, you have an emergency coolant supply, exactly, it doesn't yeah. work out so hot when it melts down. <laughs> and don't do it on the ring of fire either. You no. know, put it somewhere else. Um, but I have to tell you, you know, because I know, Ron, you're up there in Portland. Yeah. Um, a few years ago, actually, it was... Right after my dad passed away, there was a, a there were a bunch of reports that came out about a potential supervolcano somewhere in the Cascadian region, mm-hmm. and that is that you know that it, it's sort of buried under all the land masses, but they think that it was something that had erupted, you know, in the distant past and could again. And the Cascadian region is one of the most volatile. Right. So well, you, they have all there. those, Clean. like Mount St. Helens and Mount Rainier, uh, Mount Earthquakes. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, Mount Adams. Yeah. So there's a whole series of uh, mountains along the uh, northwest here. Well, the, and of course, yeah. you know what happened with Mount St. Helens. And that's it's nothing. Scary. Yeah. Well, the, the other <laughs> problem. So here we thought, you know, that it was just Southern California and Yellowstone, but no, it's the Pacific Northwest too. You also have a subduction zone along the entire West Coast. The West Coast yeah, is a subduction exactly. zone where the two plates, one. We're plate, all going to go in the ocean, right? Yeah. One, one plate <laughs> is sliding under the other plate and, and crunching yep. it. So that, that causes quite a bit of, of bad activity. I, I took geology once upon a time, so. It's crazy. We both, you know, we all live here anyway because we love being on the West Coast. Sure. um, But you know, I mean, the thing is, I I, you can survive a super volcano. And what was so special about Toba was the fact that at the time there weren't that many people on the planet. So when it killed a large amount of them, it really created, you know, some genetic anomalies that. Uh, there have been a couple of stories that came out a few years ago that tried to dismiss the theory that the survivors of Toba are all of our ancestors. Clearly, they, they you know, found that there were other people that managed to survive than the small pocket that they originally thought. But regardless of that, it killed a lot of people. But, mm-hmm. you know, today we have how many billion, seven billion people on the planet and counting Right. And if a, if so, say uh, Yellowstone did blow or Long Valley, thousands and thousands of people would die from the initial eruption, you know, the initial debris and, and 500 mile radius would be gone. 
right. then you have millions of people that would possibly die from the fallout, the nuclear winter that would follow. Well, let's do this. What but you still have survivors, you know, because we're, we have so many freaking people now that yep. the southern hemisphere, and the thing is, we probably end up killing each other more than the ash and, you know, the, the natural disaster would kill us. Well, why don't why don't you walk us through a super volcano eruption? Well, that's going to be kind of hard because it is all speculation. Since sure. nobody's ever lived one, but for what we you know we wrote a scenario based on what is known, and the scary thing about it is that we don't know the very many of the sort of precursors that come first, the warnings, but there are some. So, for example, if there is an existing caldera, say say Yellowstone, for um, just for the purpose of this, you start to have a lot of microquake swarms, and they get bigger and bigger and bigger. There's a lot of tree kill. The treetops begin to die off, and that's from the release of gases that uh, the mag the movement of the magma beneath the ground. Mm-hmm. So you've got that those signs you might have a small vent eruption one little vent mm-hmm. and it could be something like old faithful um so you, you know that's a possible sign if there's little pools of water little ponds they may start to boil okay because gas is starting to try to get out these little vents there's so much movement of magma and that's another thing is that you can track the movement of the magma beneath the ground and if it's getting too out of hand that's a good sign something's going to happen so then you start to have the eruptions and usually what what the geologists, geophysicists, seismologists have seen happen based on looking at the geologic record is that the vents, it's not just one big explosion. Mm-hmm. Three or four vents will open. They'll start spewing debris and, and, you know, five or six more will open. Eventually, so many will open that that the floor will just collapse in on itself and then it sort of implodes and then explodes outward. And then you've got your super eruption. Um, A super volcano must have 120 cubic miles of debris. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot. (laughs) And that's all getting ejected into the air. It's going somewhere. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, it it's going to look different. Like with a conical volcano, everything comes out that little hole at the top, right? right. And mm-hmm. you have lava. Once the magma hits the air, it becomes lava. You've got that pouring down the side. With a super volcanic eruption, it's just going, it's just going Everywhere. up and out. <laughs> right. And then so, and that can last for days. And then once that settles down, the ash that has been spewed can create what's called a nuclear winter. And it can last up to six years where literally there's so much ash that it blots out the sun. Yeah, that's, that's that's where you begin to have major problems because it destroys agriculture. Um, you know, it shuts down any air travel mm-hmm. and because we have so many people. You, you can't be out in the street breathing that stuff. You're going to have higher, uh, you know, uh, asthma and respiratory diseases. So it's not just 
the main blow. It's it's what happens afterwards too. And you know, some people have theorized that that in the in the event of a nuclear exchange, where the the nuclear winter part comes from, that there's so much debris in the air that it actually uh, hastens on an ice age. Yeah, exactly. It does. It's a good way to. In fact, my dad used to joke that if you want to stop global warming, go uh, try to trigger super volcanic eruption. But it's Mm -hmm. kind of a trade off because, you know, do you really want to deal with with that? So that's 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 what we know that there's going to be microquakes. They're going to get bigger and bigger. There's going to be some major five, six earthquakes. There's going to be vent openings. There's going to be boiling water. So, you know, and, and I know that at Yellowstone, there has been a couple of reports of uh, some of the groundwater boiling. I don't know if they're ponds or little lakes or what you could call them, creeks. I've never been there. Mm-hmm. Um, and people that, that go in, what do they call it? Geothermal pools? Right. It's supposed to be really wrong. You should know. They're supposed to be really good for your. Yeah, well, it's a little, little hot. I think somebody fell in one, uh, what, a couple months ago, and it just didn't work out very well. Well, it dissolved. Yeah, especially when there's, yeah, when there's <laughs> little, melted. you know, little <laughs> yeah. holes and the gas is coming up, and then, you know, Old Faithful is probably a really good marker. Right. Because I'm sure that, that Old Faithful would become even more faithful. Yes. So, <laughs> and animal behavior, that was another yeah, um, precursor. Yeah, they run. Ever, they will leave the area in droves. And, that's true. You know, that's usually a sign. That's true of a volcano as well. That they, yeah, they feel the earthquakes. Micro- yeah. Yeah. They feel the microquakes and they take off. Like in, in mass. It's not like, you know, thumpers jumping along. It's like everything just like right. runs. Birds everything. fly, they you know, insects swarm out of there. So now So Oh go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say that's all that, that is known because I mean obviously they you know, they're keeping track of every volcano has a, a tracking a system that all goes back to USGS, and they're keeping constant uh, tabs on Long Valley and Yellowstone here in the United States, so that if they start to see, and every now and then we hear in the news, you know, there's some creepy stuff going on, but it has not yet translated into um, a super, you know, a super eruption, not even a small one, which is kind of scary. Because you think, well, just like with the San Andreas Fault, it's it's brewing. So when it does go, it's going to be huge. So based on on the research that you and your dad did, is is Long Valley the the next one that that you guys believed was going to blow, or is there? I mean, it, it it'd be catastrophic worldwide, right? So is there another one well, somewhere that they're they're both they're both. It's like, you know, when somebody says so-and-so, such-and-such is due for an earthquake, that could mean two years, that could mean 200. With Mm -hmm. supervolcanoes, because we're going on the basis of what we see in the rocks and sediment layers and... You know, we don't have like some guy who kept records and saying, well, listen, you know, every 640,000 years to the day. What? So be, be ready. Yeah. Nobody knows. Wish, but <laughs> I know. I'm disappointed. And, and again, 
we don't know all of the little baby steps that come before. We only think we know a few of them. So there might be 10 different things that happen to lead up to a supervolcanic eruption. And they can be happening right now, and we don't know yet because we don't have any written record of it. Um, But Long Valley, the reason why that is more feared than Yellowstone, again, is just the proximity to, you know, earthquake faults and Mm -hmm. more populated areas. Because Long Valley is closer to Los Angeles, um, you know, San Bernardino. There's much more populated areas that would be affected. So you'd, you'd have a lot more. Mm-hmm. Casualties, but there there's no one in say Siberia or somewhere that that's looking a little more shaky. Long Valley's the one. There could be. Well, they're you know they're they're all over the place, and again, there's probably several in the ocean. And mm-hmm. what's scary about that is, <laughs> those are the there's the least amount of information on what's going on with those because some of them probably have not even been identified yet. And also, if you have a, a super, if you have a super volcano near any methane deposits, that's that's beyond catastrophic. Yeah, that's not good. So. That's yeah, like the entire seafloor collapses into a fireball. That's really yeah. bad. I'll go to lights. Yeah, but like even Toba, you know, Toba went off 75,000 years ago. It's not due. There's no activity. Lake Taupo went off 28,000 years ago. There's no, no sign to show that it, they, it, they have to have time to build up enough stuff below that's going to be blasted out. In, you know, when it does erupt. So Yellowstone and Long Valley, yeah, they haven't gone in a while. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're being watched so closely. But again, if there's new new ones like the one that might be in the Cascadian region, mm-hmm. you know, that could go next week. Right, right. The thing is, it's that they're survivable. They're mm-hmm. survivable if you know how to shelter in place if you have a lot of food and water on hand and if you're not stupid enough to go outside immediately following one you know you could survive if you're even if you're in that sort of danger zone mm-hmm. um it's just what happens afterwards it's it's the human element that's added in it's human beings freaking out and you know that they don't have food and water, so they're going to come and take yours and that kind of stuff. Yeah, kind of like the Walking Dead. More. Yeah. I, I that's scarier to me than the damn super volcano. Right. Well, I think I read somewhere that we're like three days away from Armageddon. You know that that it's like three days without water, food, or power, and and things start getting crazy. Yeah, and now they warn. You know, now we're told you should have at least two weeks. Uh, mm-hmm. People still think, oh, you know, the old Red Cross information, seventy-two hours. But no, I mean, I was in the Northridge earthquake, and it took a couple of weeks for mm-hmm. them to get uh, power on in some areas, running water. Uh, my husband at the time and I, we actually left and came down to San Diego as soon as the, one of the freeways was cleared because 
if you went to buy water, people were charging $20 a gallon. You know, they were price gouging. And it was getting kind of scary. Mm-hmm. So you have to work. So now, if you have at least two weeks, there's a little time for the infrastructure to get running again, even though I think it would take a lot longer than that. But right. nobody, you know, people are still, oh, I just need two or three days. Right. No. But Seriously? No. <laughs> So is that one of the reasons why you got involved in emergency preparedness because of what occurred uh, with that earthquake you and uh, your former husband were involved in? Well, my husband, Ron, he wasn't doing it. But I, when we lived in L.A., I worked at Warner Brothers Records. Uh And the Warner Brothers were noted for you know, giving money to help with earthquake preparedness and response. And they offered all employees full training with the Verbank Police Department and the Fire Department. And I said, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll do that. So I used to, you know, I used to, on my work time, I used to get to go train with Burbank Police and Fire. That's where I started. And, you know, I, we did everything. We jumped out of helicopters. We did drills at the Burbank Airport where, you know, they had a plane that they downed and they sprayed it with all that white crap and pretended mm-hmm. it had crashed. So I learned everything up there. And then when I came to San Diego, I got involved with CERT, the Community Emergency Response Team, right. which I'm glad I did. Mm-hmm. I also got my ham radio license because, Good. you know, we've been evacuated a couple of times for wildfires. Right. I remember the one we like had, two, three yeah. years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we got evacuated. We got sent packing. Um, there's earthquakes right here. So I just became, and, and then as a single mom, when I became a single mom, it became even more important. Especially mm-hmm. because my son had was handicapped, and mm-hmm. I used to think, God, if there's an earthquake, what the hell am I going to do? Right. You know, how am I going to get him to safety? And it, it, it's just that, and I think the fact that most people don't have a clue what to do. So right. I figured I'd better figure it out. So what's what's something basic that some people that people could do to prepare? I mean, obviously, if you have a super volcano event. That's that's a little beyond the pale. I mean, that's going to cause problems even if you're prepared. But you know, what's, yeah, what's something simple? That well, do? you know what? I mean, even that though, there's going to be some warning. You know, I feel bad for the people that the tornadoes and things that happen so quickly they don't get warning. But the basics are have two weeks per person of mm-hmm. water. And, and food and non-perishable food. Make sure you have extra medications because you could die from that. You know, if you go two weeks without your blood pressure meds or something, oh, you'll yeah. have extra medication, food for your pets, have basic, you know, emergency supplies, especially things like tarp, um, duct tape. If you need to shelter in place, and you need to close off the windows and doors to any outside air if there's a you know, anything nuclear or some kind of toxic event, a biological event. And those are simple things. Flashlights, batteries. Um, here in San Diego, 
all emergency responders have to have be trained in ham radio, and that's because cell phones are useless in a major disaster. Um, you know, the candles, just the the real basic common sense things people don't even do. Blankets, mm-hmm. um, you know, medical aids, band-aids and little antibiotic creams, that kind of crap. It's just so common sense. Right. But people don't do it. Bullets. Yeah. Lots and oh, lots I of don't, bullets. You know, I'll do it later. <laughs> lots of yeah. bullets. Make sure you have plenty of bullets. Well, you know what? That's actually, yeah, I've been in getting involved with some prepper movements groups uh-huh. for this book I'm writing. Boy, are they fascinating. And, um, you know, there's make your own guns, and I, protection is probably going to be very important. Yeah. Because if it is an ongoing situation, like an EMP, if there's an EMP, uh, electromagnetic pulse that knocks out grids and computers and cars won't be able to, to start, that is, to me, far more terrifying than a super volcano. Because then you have people going crazy. And mm-hmm. that's where um, I've read a lot of you know studies on how we should be responding and really arming yourself. <laughs> I hate to say it, but, you know, it, it's not going to guarantee that you're going to survive, but it sure as hell might help. Well, you Especially know, for people that live out in rural areas that have, like, extra rainwater and food and stuff, they're going to be the first target. The mm-hmm. reason being that people are going to want to go to places like that because they know that the preppers and the survivalists and the people that think about that kind of stuff have all the food and the water. So, you know, true. one one other thing to keep in mind with that kind of stuff is also, you know, spend spend a day and and figure out some primitive, you know, techniques. I mean, learn how to use a bow drill, right, to start a fire. Yeah. You know, fire without fire, you're not going to last long, right? Learn how yeah. to, learn yeah. how to how to shoot a bow. Buy a wrist rocket. Because, yeah, I mean, a wrist rocket, they're like 20 bucks down a Big Five. You can get bearings. You get these bearings. You know, you can you can hit small game and eat it if you're hungry. I mean, it's – but I think one of the things that we do lose sight of, even with even with the preparation techniques that we're taught, is, is to actually go back to some of the more primitive techniques. You know? Yep. Absolutely. I mean, my dad used to say in any major, major, major catastrophe, you know, we're talking asteroid impact or something, that it's going to be the more primitive societies and cultures that remain in the Amazon jungle or whatever. They're going to be able to survive because they know how to live off the land and we don't. And and that's, yeah, they know how to start fires. They, They know which plants are edible and which ones are poisonous. And exactly. They know how to trap and fish and hunt. And and it really is. You're, you're, I remember that movie Godzilla, the newer one with Brian Cranston. I loved the line where he says, it's going to send us back to the Stone Age. Because that is so true. We will it be is. going back to such a primitive way of surviving. And so the more you know and the more you have... Yeah, you're still going to have a hard time, but it does empower you a little bit. 
Well, I mean, think about it logically, right? If you're talking about a six-year-long nuclear winter that hastens on an ice age, right? Even if you have two yeah. years worth of food per person, which will consume the space of a small shed. I mean, you know, I've seen I've seen a year's worth of food for a family, and it comes on a pallet. Yeah. It comes on a pallet. You know, eventually you're going to run out of that. You're going to run out of food. You're going to yep, run out of water. Absolutely. You're going to run out of bullets. You're going to run out of matches. You're going to run out of lighters, flares, gasoline, Ron. You're going to run out of all these, yeah. you know, these very, uh, you know, uh, basic basic yeah. things. And then what are you going to do? If you can't right. build a shelter, if you can't start a fire, you got problems. Well, I really envy people that, you know, I have some friends that live out in rural areas and they've actually set up, you know, little underground uh, bunkers or storage units to put food and water in. I envy them, but I'm in, I'm in suburbia and a lot of people are in urban areas Mm -hmm. and you know, that's really hard. It's really hard because you don't have the land to do that. So you're going to have to stockpile some stuff in your little apartment or your house. And then you're going to have to hope that the people that have survived with you don't turn on you when, because they haven't stockpiled anything. And I, and I think that's what kind of angers me about it is a lot of disasters. You've got people that just refuse to prepare that then panic and freak out and decide, that they're going to kill you and take what you prepared. You know, it's just maddening. But um, rural people definitely have an edge until, like in The Walking Dead, everybody finds out, oh, you know, Joe's farm's got plenty of food out there. All them sheep and pigs, and he's got that underground bunker and all that saved rainwater. Let's go get him. But, you know. Hopefully he has a lot of guns and a lot of family members that know how to shoot him. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a trebuchet that hurls uh, cars, you know. Let's just hope it doesn't happen in our lifetime. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, how many times have asteroids done near flybys? Right. And yeah, there's so lucky. we're due from, from some, for some natural disaster. I mean, you know, there's so many to choose from. Well, you but, know, uh, Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson actually has a really good uh, video that he made. Well, he was interviewed and he was talking about Apophis. And, uh, mm-hmm. and his one point is, you know, well, they didn't name it Bambi. I mean, they named it Apophis, the god of the dead, you know. And he was yeah. he was describing what would happen um, when it hit because based on its trajectory, if it hits this window that they call the keyhole, that it'll crash somewhere in the Pacific Ocean. And he was describing, like, what would happen, that the water would be sucked out off the West Coast, you know, so far that it would you would actually see that drop. Because people don't know, but there's, like, a, a slope, and then there's this massive drop-off. And he said the water gets sucked out beyond the drop-off. And then when it got sent back in, that it would basically sandblast the West Coast. Yeah, it's got to come back. Yeah, that's right. What goes what goes out must, must come, come in. in. <laughs> and he said it would, you know. If yeah, you're that's in Ma- scary. Yeah, if you're in Malibu, you can look forward to you know like a 300 foot wave coming at you. That's basically going to sanitize the entire coast. 
that's terrifying. And the, but you know what? Okay, so like something like that, or a gamma ray burst, or things that we just haven't dealt with and are maybe beyond our capacity. That mm-hmm. you just <laughs> bend over and kiss your ass goodbye. Yeah, but not much you can do. There's no. Yeah, there isn't. So it's just basically, what can you do about the things that are more likely to happen? Because we all live in a danger zone, whether it's hurricanes, tornadoes, blizzards, flooding, fire. You know, everybody's got something. Yeah, uh, it'll. There's a there's a movie by a guy named Lars von Trier called Melancholia, and at the end of the movie, it, it's not really oh. destroying the movie because I mean you can, it's like a it's just like a two hour train wreck. You know, at the end of the movie, yeah. they basically the Earth is going to collide with this other planet, and they basically mm-hmm. just go outside and watch it because it's like, what are you yeah. gonna do? Yeah, and what uh, can you do? You know, I mean, it's like, just enjoy oh well, the, enjoy it was, it. We, we had a good run. <laughs> Oh brother! Yeah. You know the, yeah, the we ape- can laugh about it. The apex predator is nature, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I think I worry far more about the human response to a lot of these things. And every time we have an earthquake here, it's always a a really good reminder of how quickly people go into panic mode, and that's scary. Mm-hmm. Because then you can't really reason with them, and they're hard to you know to tell what to do. They just are are freaked out and don't want to follow instructions. Mm-hmm. Well, and, it, and it's everybody for themselves. You know, it's... Yeah. Uh, well, I don't blame them. I would be that way, too. But that's not going to get you. That's not going to, you know, help. Because a lot of times you really do need to come together. Right. And help each other. So... That's true. And, and, you know, another, another good thing I think that's worth pointing out is that, you know, if you have neighbors you like, you know, reach, reach out to your neighbors <laughs> and say, Hey, if, oh, there, yeah. if there's a huge earthquake, you know, I want to know that you're not going to come gunning for me. So, you know, maybe we can. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's, let's make sure we all have food and water. <laughs> yeah. Let's make sure that, that at least me and a couple other people, you know, you know, we've, we've worked something out. And I, I think yeah. that's wise. Yeah. It's prudent. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not just us. It's our neighbors. It's the community. And it just kind of ripples out from there. So it's like, yeah, I've got everything I need. But, you know, you have to worry about everybody else around you, too. That's so. true. Man, that that's that's depressing, Ron. I know. It is scary, huh? It's well. But look at we're still here. We have lived through. We've all lived through what? How many things? We're still here. That's true. Yeah, but well, we are in the midst of the apocalypse. So stay tuned. <laughs> the eschaton is upon us. Well, <clears throat> I figure if you're gonna die. It's your time. You know. That's yeah. right. But you know, for everybody out there listening who who really wants to get some info about this and and get a really hard look at it, I mean, definitely go pick up the Super Volcano uh, <clears throat> by Marie D. Jones and uh, Doctor John and M. Savino. It you know we've just re put it out, republished it. It's uh, amazing. It is a really good book, and uh, Marie and and John they uh, they really walk you through it, and it's everybody should have a copy of it. It's very enlightening. Um, and Marie, so where do people find you? Oh, 
my gosh. Well, my website is mariedjones.com, and I'm on Facebook, Marie D. Jones Author, Twitter, and Instagram as Marie D. Jones. So easy to and find. The books are are everywhere. The books, yeah. They, you know, the other books are in brick and mortar and online stores. They're in they're in libraries too. They're on digital print and audio. And Whatever of course, turns you on. And of course, we want everybody to buy the super volcano. But you know, is there? Yes. Yes, please. Absolutely. But is there another book that that you have out that you per, are particularly proud of that you want people to read? Oh, I think Mind Wars Mind is Wars. the most critical right now. Yeah. Mind Wars. That was fun. I got to do a little research for you. You did. You're in the area. You're in that book. You're also in my upcoming Demon, Devil, yeah. and Evil encyclopedia thing, Monster yeah. from Hell. <laughs> Demons and the Devil and the Fallen You know what? That book came out fantastic. It, I was yeah. so worried about it. It came out great. That'll be out in September. It's called Demons, the Devil, and Fallen Angels. And I, I did and, a chapter on the Satanic Panic of like. Yeah, the it's the history of everything. And very comprehensive oh i need a copy of that you will get one absolutely all right well that was another thrilling podcast we're trying to keep it to almost an hour about an hour normally we just go for whatever but trying to keep it down (laughs) now um obviously we're on uh facebook uh paranoia magazine ron is on there i'm on there uh we're on twitter we're on instagram uh you can listen to us on the podcast obviously please 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 you know comment leave a like on on itunes if you listen that way stitcher um soundcloud you know make a comment you know don't don't i don't want just comments by rj over there at the quick stop i i need comments by everybody (laughs) um also you know we're on shortwave uh sunday nights 8 p.m utc to 9 p.m utc that's why we're trying to keep it to an hour and uh on 60 70 kilohertz uh we're broadcast out of germany We've got guys from Russia that are listening, Austria, Bavaria. Yeah, Bavaria, all kinds of places in Russia uh, get us. They're probably saying, oh, those stupid Americans. (laughs) No, no. They're like, oh, we like the show. When are you going to change it? (laughs) Yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're trying to get more. Um, But, you know, it's working. Yeah, being on shortwave is working out really well. I'm very happy about that. Um, so, you know, come find us. Talk to us. We're going to be a Conscious Life this weekend. Both of us, come find us. Uh, Walter Conscious Bosley. Life? You mean Contact uh, in the Desert? Contact in the Desert. I'm sorry. Contact <laughs> in the Desert, damn it. Um, that was but some other That's some con- other conference I didn't get invited to. But, um, you know, we're going to be out there. Walter Bosley's going to be hanging out in the booth. We've got books, uh, including the Super Volcano. We've got videos. Uh, we've got some great stuff. Come buy a book. Say hi. Mm-hmm. I'll have M and M's, and we can shoot the shit. Um, but thanks for listening. We love you, people, for listening to us. You guys are awesome. And uh, remember to be excellent to each other, Ron. And take good care. Keep the faith. Hasta luego. Thank you for listening to Paranoia <laughs> Radio, hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton. Sponsored by Paranoia Magazine, 
Read it now. ParanoiaMagazine.com Intro theme, The Guide, was composed by Scott Moon. ScottMoon.net Outro theme, Fighting Trousers, is by Professor Elemental. ProfessorElemental.com Voiceover written and performed by Mr. Lobo, host of Cinema Insomnia. Watch new episodes on OSI 74. Visit us at OSI74.com. We are resuming control. For now.